thinking about fathers, sons, and more. Welcome. We take another look into the life and message of Elizabeth Elliot, who called us to live to a higher standard every day. To not be satisfied with just a little religion in life, a shallow substitute for what God wants. As the series continues in the coming weeks, we'll hear from family, friends, and others, all influenced by Elizabeth's life and message. Today we conclude our look at a legacy of love with the father's role in the family and then fathers and sons to wrap it up. Our guests are Steve McCauley, son of Ed McCauley, one of the five who were killed in Operation Alka, as he talks about the reaction of people to his story, about people who sent his mother gifts, and about the no-name families. Hear that later on, Steve McCauley. Also, Della Healy, a friend of Elizabeth, talks about what people would be surprised to know about Elizabeth. That coming up later. Right now, it's part seven of A Legacy of Love, the father's role in the family. You are loved with an everlasting love. That's what the Bible says. And underneath are the everlasting arms. This is your friend, Elizabeth Elliot, talking again today with Walt and Val Shepard. Valerie's my daughter, and they are the parents of a large family in California. What is the subject you're going to discuss today, Val and Walt? I think we want to talk about dealing with our children, whether I give my children uh, the threat that they're going to have to deal with their father when he comes home, or whether I uh, spank and punish immediately. I do have a funny story, though, about quiet times. We believe in having a quiet time after lunch, and that means that Colleen, Evangeline, and Jim, who are um, eight, six, and ten, respectively, have to entertain themselves by themselves. And the two girls, who are eight and six, often question, you know, what are they allowed to do? And I have often told them, the first thing they're supposed to do is talk to God. Then after they've done that, they are allowed to rest on their beds for as long as they want. They're allowed to color. They're allowed to read books. But they must be quiet. In the same room. Yeah, Colleen and Evangeline have to be in the same room, and they can't be playing with each other. So one day, I was in my bedroom, and I had probably taken a short nap and was up doing other things in my room, and there was quiet time going on. But my daughters, who Elizabeth and Christiana, heard Evangeline after the quiet time had finished. I think we had had a timer set. And they heard Evangeline call out the door to Colleen, who had gone out before the quiet time was over. Colleen, we don't have to talk to God anymore. (laughs) 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 And so thereby letting Colleen know that quiet time was over, even though Elizabeth realized that she was supposed to be in charge of making sure Colleen had stayed inside. Elizabeth came to me with that story. But I have to deal with my children, of course, throughout the day because they're homeschooled. And so we have discussions and tears all throughout the day, not just from 3 o'clock on. I would say most often children that are under 11 years old have to be disciplined immediately, whether it's a spanking or whether it's taking away a privilege or having to 
do more chores. Whereas with the older children, over 11, it's not discipline for disobedience. It's an issue that needs to be discussed. And if I've discussed it with them and they continue to argue with me or fuss at me about it, I will simply say, well, I think the best thing would be to, for you to talk to your dad about it when he gets home tonight or whenever you have a chance to talk to him. You need to discuss this with him. So you have been the one, Walt, to encourage me to do that. You've said just have him call me or have her call me if she's giving you a hard time or I will talk to them tonight. It was like a new thought to just have them call me or me call them. It kept me in touch better with what was going on at home. It's always kind of fun when uh, you get paged from home. And uh, I can sincerely say I get a kick out of answering some of these questions. Today I'd hardly gotten out of the street on which we live, and I got a page. and. Uh, I just decided I was this close, I went home, and it was one of my daughters who thought she'd left some homework, and she had, in my car, and uh, I think, if anything, I want to stay closer in touch to home, in touch with home, and, uh, and be part of the backup system, because Val does need backup. Occasionally I've come home and they've got her surrounded and tied up as a hostage. <laughs> Terrorists on every side. What punishments do you use, Val, for the older children? That's a question that comes to me often. Taking away a privilege is the best thing. Is that the main we thing? Have, yeah. Do you I ever make one many. child do the other child's chore? I haven't. don't think I've had or, that. It's something I've thought of myself, that since you have assigned chores, mm -hmm. that uh, it would be very humiliating. If two kids have been at, at each other's throats, for mm -hmm. example, then if you can find out who started the whole mm -hmm. thing, it might be a good idea to have that child have to do the other child's chore as well as his own, of mm -hmm. course. Mm -hmm. That would be sort of humiliating. Mm -hmm. It's not easy to think up other punishments other than taking away privileges, and I suppose that's effective. You see the crucial role that a daddy plays, though, when Mom is at home with the kids most of the day, in fact, almost all the day, and the dad comes in from work. And I can see my role is to encourage her first because there have been some days when I come home and Val feels like a failure. And uh, you, you at least, because you're the outsider, you haven't been there all day, you bring a fresh perspective. And you can remind her of, no, no, by and large, the overall picture here is anything but failure. But uh, I'm just aware of how much this job of being a, a mom at home with the children that long, I'm not saying at, at all that that's for everybody, but that is a, a huge commitment. And one's perspective can get really jarred, can get really askew. And so you do play a crucial role there as a husband and father to come in there and say, whoa, everything is not lost. Get your eyes off that bridge. It doesn't look that good. And um, bridge, as in jumping from the bridge. Val, as you know, the home in which I grew up was one in which we had family devotions very regularly and twice a day. Hardly anybody nowadays thinks that they can have them regularly at all, not even twice a week. Mm -hmm. I know you do believe in family devotions. Can you tell us a little bit about yours? Yes. When I start school in the morning, I read the Bible to the children first, and then we have had questions 
from a book, a Bible uh, fact book. And I've just had fun asking the kids questions and having them raise their hands and, uh, you know, one at a time, and especially teaching the younger ones some of the facts that the older ones already know. Then my husband has what we call the reading after supper, and he will read the Bible, and he also has catechism questions, which would be from the Westminster Confession of Faith. And we finally got Theo, who is three years old, to understand the first three questions, which are, who is God? Who made you? What else did God make? And why did God make you in all things? Well, we finally got Theo to get the right answers to each of those questions, and he loved this routine of having these same questions asked every day, and he got, suddenly one day, he was so excited. Well, after each one, he turned a great somersault and then was ready for the next question. Did another somersault <laughs> after he'd answered that one, and a third somersault. We were all in stitches by then, and so he, for a, about a couple of weeks, this was his thing, is to do a somersault after each question answered properly. Like so. a lot of things in my life and in and, and developing a spiritual life, this is one of the hardest things in the world for me to do. I'm always making up excuses and reasons why this isn't appropriate. We've got quite an age span, and trying to work with an 18-year-old boy down to an 18-month-old girl is, uh, is quite a challenge with all these different characters in between. But by and large, the thing that keeps driving me is the Nike commercial. Just do it. Quit worrying about it. Quit worrying about all the things that don't go right in it. Just do it. And by and large, the guy who is the most excited in our family about it is this two-and-a-half-year-old boy who just goes wild after every supper. Dad, are we going to have the Bible reading now? And uh, that's just like the most important time in his life. Understand it's a Bible reading, then we have some questions, and then we get on our knees together and pray as a family on our knees, and then we have a song or some hymns. And uh, it's just uh, phenomenal to see how much he gets out of it. Uh, the other night, uh, said the Lord's Prayer together at the close of the prayer, and he jumps up, usually before we say amen, and he says, me said it, me said it, me said it all. He knows, knows the whole thing. Is that right? But uh, it's just a, a humble lesson, I think, in, and a humbling one for me, in, in just doing what the Lord wants us to do and not not worrying about the fact that it's full of flaws, full of imperfections, and trusting the results to God. I was there the first time you ever tried to institute family devotions. When Walter was, what, three days old, we'd had the breakfast, and Walt got out the Bible, and you had the baby on your lap. At which point, of course, he chose to shriek and scream. <laughs> And Walt made three or four tries, and finally you just threw the Bible down on the table and said, give me that child, and you took the child and you put him back in his bed. You came back and you tried again. And, of course, he's screaming in the other room, and you couldn't concentrate, and you just said, it's impossible. Great. Forget it. It's just impossible. That's all there is to it. Great moments from your past. Mm. That was so frustrating. Well, We've had trials since then, we too. We definitely have gone Boy. through years of saying, 
what what is it that helps us to stay regular with this? I mean, there are so many different reasons why it won't work. And, of course, Satan can't stand it that sure. you do it at all, so he's going to throw every monkey wrench he can into it. But I do want to encourage young parents who are listening to just stick with it because the children learn by osmosis. Our time is up. Thank you so much, Walton Bow. Considering with you the father's role in the family, the next to the last in our series on A Legacy of Love. We'll conclude it in just a little bit. First, though, we hear from Steve McCauley. His father, Ed McCauley, was one of those killed in Operation Alka. Well, how do people react, Steve, when you tell them the story, your family's history, especially concerning those five missionaries, your father included, from Operation Alka? Well, anybody who knows the story is usually they've expressed their gratitude. That's been uh, one of my my mom's greatest blessings. You know, the rest of her life was just the way that the story influenced people. She lived with us the last eight and a half years of her life. Uh, I'd get the mail and, you know, once every couple months, here's some letter from some church or some person I never heard of. And I say, Mom, what's that? She goes, oh, this church has been sending me $50 a year, every year, ever since your dad was killed. Or here's a lady who, you know, she sends me $20 every year, once a year, every year. You know, it's not the money, but it's just the thought that 40 years later, people are still doing that. You know, we joke around that, you know, I'm in contact with uh, a lot of the kids of the guys who died. And uh, it's sort of a standing joke. You know, if I were to tell somebody my dad was killed on the mission field, nobody's going to know who that is because they don't know McCulley or Fleming or Udarian, right? They say, oh, really? I'm so sorry. They say, how'd that happen? I said, have you heard of the Jim Elliott story? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, he was one of those guys. Oh, really? Really? So we're the no-namers of the group, which is is fine. We joke about it. And, And that's the way it should be because Elizabeth's the one who wrote it all. And she did such a great job with Two Gates of Splendor and The Savage, My Kinsman, all those books of her life on the mission field. That's what brought the story to life. You know, I mean, of course, the Lord God brought it to life, but he used Elizabeth and she was fabulous with it. Steve McCauley, who spent years as a teacher and coach, talking about uh, his family. Della Healy, a friend of Elizabeth. She'll talk about something surprising about Elizabeth later on. First, though, that conclusion of A Legacy of Love. This is called Fathers and Sons. This is your friend, Elizabeth Elliott, talking again today with my daughter, Valerie, and her husband, Walt Shepard. Welcome to the program. Thank you. We wanted to talk about raising boys because uh, my husband is great at doing chores on Saturday morning and roping in one or two of the boys to do them with him. The younger ones especially love to work alongside their dad. And I think it's so important that boys see their fathers working around the house. Uh, They need to see that example of servanthood. They need to see that it's masculine and good and right to do chores around the house. Most often my husband is working outside because we have a pool, but we have a small yard, and there are always all kinds of little projects that need to be done. 
We have a side yard that continually needs to be swept out, and Walt will tell Jim, who is our 10-year-old, to go out and sweep the side yard and put the trash cans in order. What is it that motivates you or gives you joy when you work with your boys? Well, again, it goes back to the way I was raised. I had a father who didn't spend a whole lot of time talking. My dad wasn't the kind that would share his feelings, but Dad always wanted me beside him working, learning how as fast as I could to work with him. And uh, I just remember taking great pride out of being able to be assigned a job. And it might be something really, really dumb, like taking down a brick wall and taking each brick and cleaning each brick because we were going to use it for another job. The motivation was that uh, just the satisfaction and seeing my dad happy with a job that I'd done. So I'd certainly do that with my own kids. Uh, I just didn't want my boys growing up not having known or having learned how to really work and work hard and even, by God's grace, find joy in it. I remember uh, little Walter, our first and our only one, at the time he began crawling. Uh, do you remember we taught him how to pick up all the trash in the various trash cans and drag them mm-hmm. into the kitchen and mm-hmm. then put them into a bag? Mm-hmm. And then I would carry him on my hip, and we'd go out to a little burning area where we could burn, burn the, trash the trash together, uh-huh. and it was just the fascination mm-hmm. to watch. We both are pyromaniacs in <laughs> in the closet. But... Um, it was just a, a thrill to, to be able to see how quickly he caught on and then to see, yes, as you grow older, we're going to expect more responsibilities. Well, of course, none of them have been hurt by this, and uh, occasionally you'll get a challenge. I remember uh, we had almost a, an acre of lot in the house we lived in before we moved to California, and just the, the, the sheer thrill that he got out of mowing that lawn all by himself and uh, took a, a little manner of exercise out of my life. But you've got to be able to let them go on some things. Mm-hmm. Yesterday, and, or about two days ago, you had told Jim that after his schoolwork was done, after lunch, he was to take apart a cabinet that you had taken the Formica top off of the cabinet, but he was to unscrew everything and pull apart the doors and because we were going to throw it away. Well, I had only known slightly that you had given him this job, but after lunch I had asked him to get the dishes done, which was his normal chore on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, to get the lunch dishes done. And he said, no, Mom, I can't do the dishes because Dad has asked me to pull apart that cabinet, and it's going to take me all afternoon. And I said, Jim, I don't think it'll take you more than about an hour, and you have three or four hours ahead of you. You must do the lunch dishes. I can't do the lunch dishes because then I won't get the cabinet done and Dad's going to be mad at me if I don't get the cabinet done. Then I won't have obeyed him because he told me that I had to take the cabinet apart. And, Mom, it's going to take me a whole hour to do the lunch dishes. I said, Jim, it will not take you a whole hour to do the lunch dishes. It's going to take you maybe 30 minutes, but 20 minutes probably. And so he stomped off into the kitchen to do the lunch dishes, and I said, I will set the timer for 20 minutes, and if you're not done in 20 minutes, then you may go out and start doing the cabinet. So he glumly started doing the kitchen, and sure enough, in 20 minutes, he was done. He went outside, started working on the cabinet, and within 45 minutes, he was done with taking apart the whole cabinet. And he came in looking quite cheerful, and I said, Jim, was that fun taking apart the cabinet? He said, yeah, 
I had so much fun smashing the doors. <laughs> yeah, that's great fun. And, and I said, it didn't take you all afternoon, did it? And he said, no. <laughs> I said, so you didn't need to do that arguing with me, didn't no. And But just the sense of responsibility he had was great. I appreciated the fact that you had given him a job to do, and he wanted to get it done. Of course, it was lots of fun to be able to pull apart something like that. Well, he's a good worker, but... We manly guys, we, we, we were trying to raise boys, we're trying to raise young men to do their jobs without whining. And one of the secrets that you learn to do is when you give the assignment, walk away. Don't stay around for some whining <laughs> argument. That's uh, what I do all the you time. I don't, stay around. You've got to learn <laughs> not to do this. We're, we're learning things on your program here. But... Uh, uh, being outnumbered as we are, we guys have to stick together. We got a, <laughs> we got a lot of work to do cleaning up at, after you women. <laughs> I, I really, uh, I long for my my boys to learn the joy out of working hard. It was your stepfather who made that quote that uh, he just didn't trust a man who didn't work up a good sweat. And there's some real good, real good mm, wisdom, wisdom to in that. The Bible says, if a man will not work, he shall not eat. That's right. I think it's just tragic that so many young parents today haven't taught their children to work at all. They think that they shouldn't start it till the kid is about 10 or 12 mm -hmm. or 15. Mm -hmm. Well, that's about eight years too late, right? Mm -hmm. I remember right. being there right. when the day that Walter first brought a wastebasket to you. I mean, this was before you were actually teaching him to work. You were wondering how much he understood. He was not old enough to speak a word. No. He was a toddler. Mm -hmm. And you were so excited, and you said to me, I asked Walter to go into the other room and bring the wastebasket. And you know what? He went into the other room and he brought the wastebasket. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he understood every word I said. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, that, was, that was the basic thing, we, just tell him to do something. We have to be quick and say, you can't just expect a child to learn how to work. You've got to work alongside of him. And Jesus said, I do the works that I see my Father do. Yeah. Mm. It's just a great way to teach a kid uh, a respect for authority in doing a job. And, of course, you don't want him to fail. So you have ways to work with him and, and help him do a good job with it. You don't want him to just become sloppy and careless. Well, I'm glad to hear that you think your sons ought to learn to wash dishes, too. Mm -hmm. I think... Uh, boys can get the idea, I don't have to do that because I'm not a girl. Mm -hmm. That's a girl's job. And I had a letter from a mother saying, I've got three girls and one boy, and I want him to learn to do the dishes, but I can't think why he should. Mm -hmm. So I suggested that it was really quite simple. Just say, this is our home, and we all serve each other, and this is one of the ways you can learn to serve. But what good's a man going to be if he can't cope on his own? I mean, any man's going to be stuck with cooking and washing dishes at some time in his life, one would think. I think part of uh, helping a boy to become manly, to become masculine, is letting them go as they get to be 10, 11, and 12, letting them go to do jobs on their own without hovering over them. And uh, there are some times when Jim wants me to help him get the kitchen cleaned up because it will look like a total disaster, you know, once we've had lunch. And then there are other times when I know that he knows exactly what he's supposed to do and he wants to get it done by himself and to be able to have the job accomplished on his own. 
But I've seen boys who have been too domineered by their mothers who don't seem to grab onto responsibility on their own. They're just always told they must do this, they must do this. And they don't even develop masculine features. They don't even develop a masculine voice because they haven't been allowed to go out and do on their own what they need to do. They haven't been allowed to be independent from their mother. Is that is that a wild theory that it's only my opinion or what? It's just... It sounds very reasonable to me. What do you think, Walt? I don't know. I can honestly say I don't know. It's a very upsetting thing when uh, your boy can't seem to relate to some of the other boys because they're so uh, they're so wimpy or they're so um, uh, so cowed by whatever is going on at home. You're in a real uh, troubled area there. I think the, to try to sort out what other people are going through or or what the people are reacting to. I. I just know that, boy, the responsibility on us men is to model for our sons how they're supposed to be in this life, and it's the scariest thing in the world. Surely you have been setting a good example in the way you treat Val, and I think that's one of the lessons that young men are not learning necessarily because they don't see respect. And the same thing, of course, is true from your side, Val, you, you respect your husband and your girls see that and realize that it is part of what it means to be a woman. It's part of femininity. It's been a great pleasure to have both of you on my program, Val and Walt. You've been listening during this week and last week to my daughter, Val, and, and Walt Shepard. They live in California. I live in Massachusetts. So, of course, I don't get to see them nearly as often as I'd like to, but we're happy that we can get together this time and have these chats about marriage and parenthood, what it's like to be a pastor and a pastor's wife. Thank you, and God bless you. A Legacy of Love, Part 8, concluding the series. That was Fathers and Sons, Gateway to Joy 1319. Well, before we go, let's hear from a friend of Elizabeth, Della Healy a writer who tells us about what people would be surprised to know about Elizabeth Elliot. Well, I had been uh, doing some writing about her, and uh, Dave was up here at a conference, and he said, well, will you send it to me? And I said, sure. And uh, I had used quotes that were in Passion and Purity. He wrote me back, and he said, Oh, I can't believe that my sister said all this. I can't believe that, but I, you know, it was like I was misquoting her. And so I just wrote him back and I said, well, just look on page 44 or 49 or whatever it was in the book. And you'll see that I just, I quoted your sister verbatim. And so it was the only time I think that she really was uh, exposing her passion and love for Jim Elliott in the way that she had never put out there before. Even when I first read the book, uh, I was surprised and I thought, wow, you know, and so for her to put it out there that way and then for her brother to just, you know, accuse me of, of misquoting her, I always thought that was interesting. Writer Della Healy, a friend of Elizabeth. Thank you.
Well, our time together is just about at an end. But first, let me thank you for joining us. Maybe we caught you as you did some jogging. Maybe you were at home or in the office. Well, on behalf of the Elizabeth Elliott Foundation, in cooperation with the Bible Broadcasting Network, let me invite you to check out elizabethelliot.org. elizabethelliot.org. More talks, devotionals, Gateway to Joy programs, and more. elizabethelliot.org. And uh, maybe leave a review at the place you find this podcast. Thanks. Until next time, may God remind you daily you're loved with an everlasting love, and underneath are the everlasting arms.